The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Supposedly billions of dollars are spent in treatment on anxiety, and yet it's an ever-increasing problem all throughout the world. Society does not seem to have resources for stopping it. Read a couple articles and they're like, well, make sure you exercise and get your sleep. And that's, yeah, okay, that's good. But it seems like a Band-Aid on the cancer. So we're anxious. And I got to be honest, sometimes you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on anxiety. Sometimes you're like, you know what, let's just give up. Let's just, you know what, this is too hard. We're all going to be anxious. There's nothing we can do about it. Sad trombone. That's all I got for you. And we come to Paul's words in Philippians 4. And did you hear what he had, what he had the guts to say to you? Aren't you offended? He must have no clue. What did he say in verse 4 of chapter 4? Rejoice in the Lord when? Always, always rejoice. And you're like, okay, and I'll find my pot of gold at the end of the rainbow too, right? Rejoice always. And then in verse 6, he actually said, do not be anxious about anything. And you're like, what? You You might as well have told me to sprout wings and fly. It's not possible. It can't be done. So let's be honest. I think we're all a little bit skeptical of this, except for the exceptionally holy ones among us, and we're all asking you to please write the book. You know. We're all a little bit skeptical. Rejoice always and don't be anxious about anything. Really? But we're in uh, a sermon series I'm calling Revitalize. We want new energy, new life, new knowledge, new passion, in our relationships with the Lord. And we've been focusing a lot on prayer because prayer is the power of that connection with God. We're with him, we hear from him, we pour our hearts out to him, we're responding to life with him. And we've seen in what's been very powerful and helpful to me what prayer can do, like we saw it in conflict last week. Um, Or when God doesn't seem to answer our prayers, what he's actually saying, this... It really can revitalize our, our walk with God to remember what he has for us. And so last week was praying through conflict. Today we want to think about praying through anxiety, praying through it. So it's easy for us just to have pockets of our lives we never pray about. So I've got this horrible conflict and I just react to it and I'm angry about it and I do what I do in it. But have I ever taken it to the Lord? Have I taken my desires in there to the Lord, that, that person to the Lord, what he's saying to me, Have I taken that to him in prayer that can change things? Same thing with anxiety. I will find that throughout my week, sometimes I will have things that are gnawing at me, weighing on me, a conversation I have to have, something I have to do, whatever it may be, and it's bugging me, and I'm not even present when I'm home for dinner. I've got this thing chewing on me. I haven't really brought it um, to the Lord. So I want us to just kind of like rethink Because we're all a little bit skeptical, at least I am, I want us to rethink anxiety. One, I want to rethink the source of anxiety. Two, I want to rethink some of our expectations when it comes to anxiety. And three, I want to rethink some of the amazing possibilities of what could happen if we would pray through our anxiety. The source, the expectations, 
And what could it mean to pray through this? So a question for you. What's the source of your anxiety? I think a lot of times we want to say that it's circumstances. We want to say it's our circumstances, right? We've experienced trouble before. We've seen trouble in the lives of others. And we're pretty sure trouble's going to come one way or another. And we dream up how that's going to happen. But we feel like it's circumstances. Well, look at the world I live in. Of course, I'm anxious. But I want to test that. Does your anxiety really come from your circumstances? I say no, and I have three reasons. Number one, true or false, many of the things we are anxious about never actually occur. I had a hilarious one of these happen to me a couple weeks ago, and I cannot share the details with you. But I had a conversation I needed to have, and I was sure it was going to be about X, Y, or Z, and it was about something entirely different. And I tell you, I think I heard the angels laughing at me. Because I was like, oh, Lord, help me, you know, help me respond well and whatever. And then, oh, my gosh. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. It did not happen. I was worried about it. Do you ever have the imaginary debates, comebacks? What are you going to do? What's going to... And it didn't happen. It, it hasn't happened. It just goes to show you your anxiety is not from your circumstances. Another reason I know it's not from circumstances is because my anxiety level fluctuates. So I could have a horrible challenge that many people would say, that's terrible, and I can go in there with confidence and peace and nail it. Sometimes that happens. Or I could have a little teeny thing where other people would be like, what's your problem? <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm worried. What's going on? It's not the circumstance. It's not the issue. It's something, something deeper. It's something in me. So my, if your anxiety level fluctuates, you see, you know what, this might not be about what's actually happening in life. There's something deeper going on. Anxiety is not from your circumstances. Third, the testimony of others shows us anxiety is not due to our circumstances. You remember Jesus in Matthew 6. He says to the crowd there, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Can you imagine going out to coffee with one of those people in that crowd? And they'd be like, What is this glorious thing called coffee? And you'd say, Oh, let me tell you about the world I live in. Running water. I got this thing, I turn it, water, boom. They'd be like, no. Oh, yeah. Medical care, they can give you a new organ. An organ? Yeah, you got the stuff inside you that does stuff? We can get you a new one from someone else. You can live longer. What? Really? Oh, yeah. Leprosy, you know that disease? Your aunt, you can't touch her, can't visit her? It doesn't even exist in the world I live in due to medical care. No. Oh, yeah. Dentists, you can have your teeth a long time and they can make you fake ones if yours fall out. Refrigerators, you can put your food in one and it stays cold. Air conditioning, oh, let me tell you about air conditioning. What? Oh, yeah. And the coffee makers, you can set them the night before so that when you wake up, it's already right there for you. And they would say to you, I would never be anxious in a world like that. And we would say to them, oh, yeah, you would. You see, there are, there are people with better circumstances than you who are more anxious than you are. And there are scads of people, I've met them, 
who have far less than we do. And they're less anxious than we are. Your anxiety is not about your circumstances. And it never has been. It can't be. It's not. It's about the perspective of your heart. The perspective of your heart. It's about how you're looking at things. How you understand things. How you see things. The perspective of your heart. And this is what's amazing. I got, a, I got this on a slide for you. Look at what Paul says, Philippians 4, 11. I have learned something. Learned something. What has he learned? In whatever situation I am, to be content. And that shows you one thing. First of all, you have to learn this. It's not like a, an award you get. Oh, never anxious anymore. <laughs> There's something you learn. There's a process you go through. You, you figure something out. But I've learned in any situation, Paul says, to be content. You know, when we read his words, don't be anxious about anything. Rejoice always. We're like, Psh, have you seen my life? Have you seen his life? Do you remember where he is when he's writing this? He's in a prison, a Roman prison. Um, so in this letter, his circumstance is worse than most of ours by far. He doesn't have any security. In fact, he's wondering if he's going to be executed. He's not sure. So a man who's in prison, who might get his head cut off, is telling you not to be anxious and to rejoice. And he's learned how to do it. So at the risk of being cheesy, I want you to repeat after me. Are you ready? I do not have to be anxious. You don't. You don't have to. He's learned the secret. There's a secret. So we're rethinking the source of our anxiety. I think that's a big part. We kind of just, of course we're anxious. Look at what could happen. No, not of course. It's not real for a bunch of different reasons. Next thing we need to do is think about our expectations. Some people think, some people say anxiety comes from thinking you have to meet certain expectations. So you have to look a certain way, have certain things, live a certain way. Do you have that sense in you sometimes? It could be from any social group. It could be from a church. It could be from Self Magazine. It could be from anything. But you've got to do this. You've got to look this. You've got to feel this. You've got to be this, right? You have to meet this image. You have to have this situation. You have to do it like this. And if you don't, you are failing somehow, and you're worried about that. You feel... I'm not, I'm not catching up. I'm not meeting up. I'm not doing it right. But I would just like to, that any expectations you have that are making you anxious, like this, this is true for me sometimes. I should be seeing this kind of stuff happen if, it's not, if I'm not, that I'm missing something and then I'm, I'm worried about that. Can we test those expectations? Why do you have the expectations that you have? Should you have those expectations? Where did these come from? Why, who are the expectation givers in your life, and why do they have the authority they have? I want to know. Um, expectations are incredibly important to your sense of peace. C.S. Lewis used the illustration of a room. Imagine a hotel room. You're told this is our best honeymoon suite. And you walk in and you're like, two and a half stars. 
no good. Shower's tight. The water's only hot for a little. Refrigerator's really small. The bed's kind of hard. This, how are you feeling about your honeymoon suite now? You're, you're outraged, okay? Now flip that around. You're going to jail. This is your jail room. This is your prison cell. And you walk in. Same room, two and a half stars. Shower's a little tight, but the water's hot. You got a bed, you got a refrigerator. How are you feeling now? That's not so bad. I can handle this. One, you were deeply depressed. Two, you were incredibly happy. The circumstance didn't change. The thing that changed was your what? Your expectation. Your expectation. What should we expect? That's a hard question. It depends, right? It dep- what should you expect? I do know this. Look at Philippians 1.29. At least in some way, this is what we should expect, and I think it's hard for us as Americans. Do you see it? It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. What should you expect? Jesus said in John 16:33, "In this world, in the world, you will have what? You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble." Now, disclaimer, should we walk around like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, you know? Always suffer. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. And yet, should we walk around like um, this life is going to be heaven on earth. And then when difficulty happens, we're like shocked. What should we expect? I mean, the, the apostle, the Lord, common experience tells us, listen, you should expect suffering. The non-difficulty, easy life, that world might as well be a planet in Star Wars. It's a fun movie to watch, but it's not real. We're in a street fight for the glory of God. We have enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is a corrupt system against God. That's where we live. It's corrupted. It's dying. That's where we live. There's beauty in it, for sure. There's joy in it, tons. But it's broken. The flesh, we're sinful. We struggle. You, you, sometimes we have anxiety over how, have you ever been sad about how sad you are? I'm serious. Because you can feel down about something, and then, you, then you're like, I should be better than this. Have you ever been deeply depressed about how tempted you were? I was so tempted to do that. I'm awful. I must not be a Christian. Wait, did you expect no struggle of the heart? You have the flesh still within you, and it's a war. It's a fight. So yeah, I... You should be disappointed when you sin. I, I should be too, but not crush because did you expect no problems anymore? Or should you expect a street fight? You got to fight. You got to fight the world, the flesh, the devil. Did you know there's a supernatural person who's really good at messing with you? And he's never going to let up? It's a fight. What do we expect? You know, I remember that great section from Lord of the Rings, the book. And Frodo obviously is a little hobbit who has to carry all the weight of the evil ring to Mount Doom. And he's suffering so much. He's suffering a great deal to do this. 
And he says to Gandalf, the wise wizard, he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Why couldn't I be the hobbit who lives in obscurity and has an easy life? He was born and he died. I wish it didn't happen to me. And then Gandalf says, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But then Gandalf says this, that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And that stirs my blood a little. You could be like, oh, all this hardness. I'm worried. What are you going to do with it? I wish it hadn't happened to me. I know, me too. I know. I wish it hadn't happened. So grieve it, mourn it. It's real. It's sad. It's hard. Now what? Are you ready for the fight? This comes to expectations. Expectations. What do you expect? Rethink your expectations. Rethink your hope. How many of you just can't wait for a time of security? Where you're, you know, when we get older, right? Our friendships kind of die sometimes with age. I remember my grandparents talking about this. Some of us are going through this. Our friends are getting sick. Don't you long for the day when the friendships last forever? Our conflict is in, is in so, many, so much of our lives. Don't you long for the day when there's peace all the way through? Aren't you ready for a world where you have a body and there's no sickness? And it's really true that you are still 39. Are you ready for a place where you have what you need? Pleasures abound and there's infinite security forever? Look at Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do you see his power? He's risen from the dead. He subjected all things to himself. Do you see our hope? He's coming, and he's going to bring that new earth, and we're going to have new bodies, and there, there you will have what you long for. So many of the desires we have right now, what are they telling us if we'll listen? You're longing for heaven. Lewis said if you have this desire, desires for a place, maybe you were made for it. You know, right? You long for this, you long, why do we long for things we have never have in this life on this earth? So strange. Why do we long for something we can never get here? Well, you weren't just made for here. You're made for there. And there you'll have it. You'll have it. You'll have what you want. You'll have what you need. So what should you expect? Some difficulties now. Paradise later. Right? Some difficulties now. Paradise later. So we realize some things. Anxiety doesn't come from the circumstances. It comes from the perspective of the heart. So how, here's the money question, right? How can the perspective of your heart find peace? Peace is the opposite of anxiety. Anxiety is things are out of control. I have to do it. I have to fix it. It's all going to crash. Peace is Things are under control. It's okay. It's good. I'm all right. I can rest. How do you find peace? Well, here's the amazing answer of this text. The perspective of the heart we need is the presence 
and the power of a person. The perspective of the heart that you need is the presence and the power of a person. Let's just see the basics here in this text. Look at verse 4. Rejoice always. And we're like, yeah, right. But we, there's a phrase we want to hang our hats on. Rejoice what? In the Lord. There's, do you, this is amazing to me. Do you realize we here, the whole world is spending billions of dollars on anxiety and it's not working? You have something. We have something. Everyone wants and cannot find. Let's remember this. Let's be refreshed in this. Paul is sure that there is one place where you can always find joy. Now, another disclaimer. Paul will say things like sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Okay? If you haven't figured that out yet, just be a Christian longer and you'll, you'll find a truth. We live in a broken world. It brings sorrow. It brings pain. Uh, this is not like a, a surface-level happiness we're talking about where your circumstances make you happy. That's real and that's good. I like to be happy with good circumstances, don't you? I, I was happy last night. The food was good. The company was good. It's great. Praise the Lord. But joy is something a little more than that. Joy is a, um, a deep river of the ultimate that you need, and it's never not there because you rejoice in whom? Who's, where's the only place? I'm telling you, the only place to find joy that is, can always be there no matter the circumstance. Rejoice in the, in the Lord. That's it. And then, and then he says in verse 7, And the peace of God surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in what? The peace of God in? Where? Who? Christ Jesus. Jesus alone. The person of Jesus alone is the power for joy and peace anywhere at all times. Jesus alone. And this is where we need that prayerful perspective. Can you see him? Can you see him? I want to give you a few pictures for the perspective of your heart. So we can see him. Philippians 3.12, one phrase that's just so beautiful in this book. What does Paul say? Christ Jesus has done what? Made me his own. Power packed, Christ. The divine promised king. The son of God, the Messiah, the promised king. He's made you his own. How did he do it? His life for yours. His life for yours. The trade. He lived the perfect life you couldn't. He died the death on the tree as your substitute. He rose from the dead. His life for yours. He bought you with his blood, Paul will say. He has made you his own. You belong to the Christ. He knows you. He's responsible for you. You're precious to him. Can you see it? He has made you his own. Second picture for our hearts. Look at these two verses together. Philippians 3, 7. Paul says, whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted it all as what? 
loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He also says in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Really? What could possibly be so good that every other good thing looks like trash compared to this? What could possibly so good be so good where you're like, death is a promotion? I mean, these, this is the human fear that I would lose every good thing that I have. And guess what? You are going to lose every good thing that you have in this life. They are going to die. You are going to die. Hebrews talks about how the fear of death has kept us in slavery. What could be better than every good thing that you'll lose? What could be so good that death is a promotion? Jesus. The one who resurrects things. The one who brings life out of death. The one who is, what can we say? He's the treasure. He's the treasure. The treasure of all treasures. If you're with him, if you have him, if you see him, and if you know him, that's life. It really is life. To be brought into the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, through the Lord Jesus. That is what you were made for. That is heaven. Can you see it? He is the treasure. The treasure has made you his own. And the heartbeat of this passage, the treasure who's made you his own, is near. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. should phrase it differently or, or emphasize it differently. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? I think this is the anchor of the passage. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Greek underneath that phrase at hand means near in space or time. Near. Some translations have the Lord is near. What does it mean? Uh, a lot of theologians think it means he's near and that he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And you can think, it's been 2,000 years. I don't know how you use the word soon. From the perspective of eternity, it's soon. There's an anticipation. From the perspective of the storyline of the Bible, next chapter, Jesus comes. It's soon. We're getting there. I said to someone last night, you know, I used to kind of smirk at the old people who said, it just all goes so fast. And I was looking at my 10-year-old swing on the swing and remember him the nine years ago at the other progressive dinner, and I said, it all goes so fast. <laughs> the end is near. Your end is near. Jerry was kicking it just fine a couple months ago. The end was near. And for Christians, that means the Lord is near. He comes to get you, takes you home. 
won't last that long. He's near. But I'm sure there's another meaning to this as well. His, his coming, his, whether it's coming at the end of the age or coming for you, that's near. But there's another one as well. Uh, an, an instance would be Matthew 28. I have all authority. All authority in heaven on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and do stuff, right? Make disciples. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What does with mean? I'm with you. I'm near to you for what you need. And that, that's, that's in this language. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. What if you were going through, some of you have had this experience, you're going through something awful, and then you've prayed and you needed him, and you, you felt him near, and you thought, I could do it. And we know this in our human relationships. When we're going through something awful and our friend comes to be near, what do you find? You find strength you find encouragement but that's just a lowly friend right we're talking here about the christ the king the lord the lord is near what's the only perspective of the heart that can bring you joy and peace in any situation the presence and power of a person the lord jesus the lord is near, right here. That's the secret for peace. That's why Paul tells us now to pray. How does your theology come alive? Maybe we take a theology test. Is the Lord near? Yes. Right? I believe in his uh, everywhere. What's the omni? Omni something. Omnipresent. Yes, I agree. Okay? And you're anxious. What hasn't happened? Your theology stayed a factual exam. Now, knowledge in the head is essential, right? It's so important. But what takes knowledge of the head and turns it into a you are near? Oh, that's so different. You just made truth personal. And that's what prayer is. It's taking the truth of God's word and making it personal. We saw this a couple of weeks ago, David in Psalm 16. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. He knows God is the Lord. And in his prayer, he's, he's not just talking about God being the Lord. He's talking to God who is his Lord. So different. Jesus, you're near. You're near. So look what Paul says. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. What? Here's how. The Lord is near. But in everything, by what? First thing. Prayer. Prayer. In everything, by prayer. So when do you pray? In everything, by prayer. People say, I don't have time to pray. I know the feeling. I think it was Martin Luther said, I don't have time not to pray. In everything by prayer. You won't make it unless you bring it, respond to all of life with God. In everything by prayer, come to him with all of life. And come to him for who he is in all of life. Come to him. Pray. If you're anxious, pray. And pray hard. Pray a lot. Set aside time to pray. Pray the word of God. Pray. Pray with others. Come to him. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. What's the next word? And supplications. Supplications is like a detailed request. So it's so great. If you're anxious about a a meeting at 2 p.m. with whoever, pray about that meeting at 2 p.m. with whoever. Pray for whoever. Pray for yourself. Pray for everything that's bothering you. Lift it up to them. I'm worried about X, Y, Z, A, B, and C. I'm scared. Help me. Pray in everything with prayer and supplication. And also with, oh, this is a good one. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Mm. What is thanksgiving? Um, it's a certain kind of joy that comes from someone else's generosity. They, they gave you something and you're appreciative, grateful for what they've done. Do you have anything to be thankful for? You know what's ironic is anxiety and thankfulness do not go well together. They have a hard time sitting in the same room with one another. Um, When you're anxious, are you overflowing with gratitude as well? Anxious people don't tend to be thankful or when you're anxious, but feel a little bitter. Don't you feel a little gypped by life when you're anxious? You're not thankful. You feel like somebody's stealing something from you. I should have had this. Anxiety and thankfulness doesn't go well together. And thankful people, when you're feeling thankful, you don't tend to be anxious at the same time. Instead of feeling gypped by life, you feel a little fortunate. Wow, it's gone well for me. So thankful. Anxiety and thanksgiving don't coexist well. Anxiety, who needs to be controlling anxiety? Here's why you're nervous, right? Because you feel like you have to control things that you know you can't. You're reaching, you're grabbing, it's not working. You're not big enough. I control, I have to make it happen. And then sometimes anxiety, I didn't do it right, I couldn't do it right, I couldn't do enough. Thanksgiving, who's in control? I mean, with Thanksgiving, you're acknowledging the generosity of someone else in the room, someone else in the universe who's there, who's helping you. The Lord is near. Thankfulness. He forgives you. He take, he's in control. Whose job is it to be king of the world? Some of you are like, it's me. I don't know how I signed up for this. I have to not only take care of my life, but the lives of several others. I can hardly bear the burden. Yeah, you are not the Christ. You are not the Christ. You don't, you're not in control of anything. You don't have control and you won't. And you're not supposed to. You have influence, you have responsibility, you're made in the the image of God, you have dignity and worth, you have something to do for sure. Let's not pretend you're in control. I'm not either. What, but I need to, if I don't, if you don't, the world will still turn. God will still be on his throne. But the world needs me to make it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't need me either. Just take take a breath and realize You're not in control. But someone's near. Jesus is near. And guess who's in control? Jesus is in control. So when you pray and you start work on being thankful, when you start working on being grateful in your praying, that is one way to deflate anxiety. 
Be thankful. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. A prayerful perspective, a prayerful perspective on the nearness of Jesus brings peace. Tim Keller says, peace is the confident trust in the wise rule of God over your life. The confident trust in the wise rule of God over your life. He's near. He loves you. He's strong. He's in control. Perspective of that can give you peace. And the text says it surpasses understanding. You can have a peace that just doesn't make sense to you. That could mean it's more than you could rustle up by your own understanding. I've got to find a way to make myself feel better. No, this piece is better. Maybe Paul's, This piece is better than anything you could try to get somewhere else. When you know the nearness of Jesus, it's better than you could create. Secondly, you just, you, you'll be shocked that you have it. It surpasses understanding. I should not be this peaceful in this situation. What's going on? Well, you know the nearness of Jesus. And, and faith like a child, right? My kids don't have to know how all the problems are going to work out. They, naively or not, they think I'm going to do it. They think I'm going to get it done. They, they trust. They're not worried. Aren't we supposed to come like that to our Father? Peace surpasses understanding. And you find that when you are aware of the nearness of Jesus, it can overflow even in the worst situation. What did we say today from Psalm 23? Let's remember it. Even though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, just pause for a moment. That doesn't sound like a nice place. Nobody's like, do they do vacations? Is there a cabin there, you know? Where do you want to go? I'm looking for shadows of death. I don't want to walk there. But if I go there, I will fear no evil. It's not that the evil won't happen around me or to me, but it won't get in me it won't take over me and why are we not afraid I will fear no evil for you see he's praying right here who's he talking to for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me David is fixated here on the nearness of the Lord and that's why he has peace you're with me and you have a rod and a staff you're strong. You're powerful. And then I just love verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What an image. Do you have enemies? Or at least think of your problems, your stresses, the things bugging you. And there they are. They're getting you. They're aiming at you. They're shooting at you. They're saying stuff about you. They're trying to harm you. And what are you doing? Well, you're eating sushi. Right? They're threatening you. They're hanging over you. What are you doing? Well, you're kicking it at dinner. I'll have another place. This is almost like trash talk. I'm feasting in the midst of the mess. What? How do you enjoy dinner when your enemies are aiming at you? Well, the Lord is near. This is why... I think we can say that peace and joy in Jesus leads to courage. A weird verse in verse 5, right? I kind of skipped it before. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. If you ever want a verse that messes with translations, it's this one. If you look at all the translations, there's like 12 versions of trying to figure out what this word is. 
And it's just one of those times where the Greek word has way more depth than like the English can grab. And so you're trying to fill it in. I don't, for me, reasonableness doesn't ring. You know, it's like, let everyone know how like scholarly and prudent you are or something. But it's really not the feel of it. Maybe that word works for you. It's something like a brave generosity. So there's a conflict in the church, and he wants them to show grace and, and uh, forgiveness to one another. But, but it has this idea of goodness or generosity in it, to where you are so, you're so okay that you can be brave in showing generosity to others. You can risk. You can serve. You can love. You can hear. You can go out. You can do. You can function. You can thrive. Because you have what you need. Doesn't anxiety want to keep you home? Doesn't it want you to turtle up in your shell? Hide away from the wolves? I can't make it. I can't do it. Doesn't it want you to be, like, conserve? Don't spend. Don't give. I got to hold. This might be all I have. This might be all I'm going to get. I got to keep this. Doesn't it make you defensive? Doesn't it make you want to fight? I have seen two very nice, wonderful people, both anxious, come into the same room at the same time and start arguing with each other. And for me, my radar was like, this has nothing to do with either one of them. They are both so anxious about something else, and they just can't even, they can't even handle it together right now. Another day, another time, this would be going so differently. They're so anxious. Anxiety leads us into certain kinds of nasty sin. Biting, grumbling, fighting, protecting, insulting, defensive, we're rusty. That's why Paul says, okay, the Lord is at hand. You have joy in him. You have peace in him. So instead of in the situation where you're, you're, you're withered, let your reasonableness, your brave generosity be known to all. The Lord is at hand. He's here. You're okay. God's peace gives you courage. Courage for the circumstance. Courage. Look what Paul says, Philippians 1.18. I believe, he says, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed But now with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored where? In my body, by life or by death. Now, the story here is he's facing possible execution. Would that make any of you worried? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've got a lot of things to worry about right there. And Paul has prayed through this, and he's aware of the nearness of Jesus And so he wants deliverance, and he doesn't say, this is going to turn out for my deliverance, and they're going to let me out. That's not the deliverance he's talking about. The deliverance is, it's my eager expectation and hope, so he's he's ready, right? I'm locked and loaded. Eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. And what could possibly ashame him when he's facing execution? Well, this is what won't shame him. With full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Here's what he's saying. If I have to walk to that executioner's blade, I want to go up letting my brave 
generosity, my courage, my reasonableness being made known to all. I want everybody to see I have peace because the Lord is at hand. And I want everybody to see by my death that Christ was enough for me. That Christ would be exalted. So they see, we've seen people die and they don't usually die like that. They're usually begging, they're screaming, they're pleading, they're falling apart, they're sucking their thumb in the fetal position on the floor, they're shaking, and he walks into it with courage. Why does he do that? How is this happening? Because the Lord is near. So this is what this passage can do for me and for you. When we feel anxiety based on whatever it is, right? And it's coming again, another temptation, another attack, another difficulty. Pray through it. Pray through it. Pray. Get with the Lord. Remember his word. Make that theology personal. Talk to him. Supplication about everything. Ask. This is what I'm worried about. This is what, present it before the Lord. With thanksgiving. Remembering his generosity, his kindness to you, his faithfulness. The perspective of your heart knowing that the Lord is near. And then, as you know, some of the peace of God that surpasses your understanding of the situation. It'll turn turn you from an anxious defensiveness to possibly a courageous, hey, whatever it is, I'm in this for the glory of God. I'm ready to face it. I'll do it for him. Isn't that powerful? Anxiety is about the perspective of the heart. So let's prayerfully remember that the Christ, our gracious Lord, is near. And may we find his peace that gives us that generous courage in every situation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that so often we are nervous wrecks, anxious beyond belief, can hardly handle it. We need you. We need you. Help our hearts to see as we pray to you. Help us to see who you are in your nearness. Help us to remember you've made us your own at, 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 at all costs. Help us see that you are the treasure. We have you. We will have you. And help us to see that you're near. Give us peace, Lord. So many of us in here, we have hard things to deal with. We're worried. We're anxious. Give us peace. Give us that peace right now. Answer this promise to us, we pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the billions of wonderful things you've given us. We thank you that we're going to be with you forever. Our citizenship is in heaven. We thank you. Give us your peace. Give us your peace. And then, Lord, transform our anxiety into courage. Let us face what's coming for your glory with joy, with peace, knowing that you will never let us down, that you're near. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.